Welcome to Christ Church Anglican. We hope that you were blessed by today's sermon. So have you ever been confronted, I mean really confronted, called out for something you've done, something in error, not just saying you have bad hygiene or something like that, but like are you called out because you're in error, you're in sin, and someone's had to confront you. Every, I've had it happen to me, and every time it was appropriate, and every time I felt a little humbled, a little small, maybe a little shame, but I was brought back in because I was loved. Or have you ever had to confront someone or had to call someone out in the same way? As I think about it, when I've had those opportunities or times, i full of emotion and anxiety. No one really likes it. Or some of us like it way too much to confront, to call someone out, and others just have a great aversion to it. But in light of what we read in the passage of Scripture today from Matthew 18, 15 through 20, I think that it's really important. God gives us, Jesus gives us these great instructions, very short, concise. This is how we do it. But I think if we just go to the hows, we're missing the heart of it. And the heart of what we're talking about in this, the heart of confrontation, the heart of calling out is so important for the reasons why we do it. Right here in the middle of chapter 18 of Matthew, we have what's kind of the Magna Carta of our church confrontation, how we do it. It's about how within the church we confront and issues that ultimately leave to church discipline. And as parents and as grandparents, as brothers, as bosses, in any situation, as people in relationship, we know the importance of discipline. But too often we start with the end in mind, what the punishment needs to be, what needs to happen to this person because they're out of line. But that's not what's right in the middle of this chapter. So before we can talk about the hows, let's talk about the why. Why do we confront and then how do we do it? So why? Why should one Christian confront another? And I think there are four reasons that are in this text. And some of the text, right in the middle of the text, some of it is before and some of it's after. We're looking at this, the contextually, in chapter 18. Right in the middle, though, is what Jesus teaches. But we have to look on either side. The first reason for confrontation, Christian confrontation, again, is to keep the value of one string, one string sheep. Right before this is the parable of the lost sheep. And Jesus is speaking as he teaches this. He is talking about how God values the lost, how God values each individual, each Christian, even and especially the ones that have strayed. And then he makes this proclamation about confrontation. Jesus moves directly from one to the other because they're linked. The father's concern for sinners and the shepherd's rescue of those that have wandered from the Lord or the fold are now to be the church's concern. It's what we do as a body, as a family. We're bringing people back into the fold, into a right relationship. So the first reason that we do it is because of the lost sheep. The second reason for Christian confrontation is the hope of forgiveness and family reconciliation. Again, if we look not just at the text from today's reading, but what surrounds it, we're able to get the context of Jesus' teaching. In fact, the theme of Matthew 18, 15 through 35 is the forgiveness of a brother's sin. And the ESV, the translation, I think is better than 
other translations because I think it gets really to the heart of even the wording of it. It says this in verse 15 and also in 35, it refers to a person within the church as a brother. And I know that we can use that generically in our world, that we can talk about a brother, um, but this is in context of a family. And I think that that's why Jesus uses this word and why it's translated this way, because I think it captures the heart of what Jesus is teaching. Some translations may neutralize it and say a believer or a disciple. But I think with brother, we get the significance of a family member. I'm sure that many of us have struggled with brokenness in family and in relationships in our family. And if you've experienced that, there is, it is a deep, deep pain that continues. Sometimes it's with a whole family You've walked away, and it can be especially painful. When this happens, there's deep longing for reconciliation, to make things right. For many, there's nothing we wouldn't do to restore and fix what's lost or seemingly lost or unfixable. There's nothing more beautiful and joyous for a family than when a family member returns, when they've wandered away and they come back. This is on the heart of Jesus as he, we look at this passage, as he shared the parable of the lost sheep, someone is lost. You go and find them. He looks for the lost sheep. I also want you to think of the parable of the prodigal son. When that boy took all of his inheritance, told his father and left him, and basically said, I, it doesn't matter if you're dead or not. I just want what's coming to me. All the father wanted was for the son to return. That's why when his son did return, the father responded the way that he did. He didn't make the son wait. He didn't shun him or treat him like a slave, which he would have had every right to do. Rather, he was waiting for his son to return. The father was watching with hope and anticipation of his son coming back home. And when he saw him far off, we know the story, he ran to him, embraced him, kissed him, put on the robe and the ring and forgave him. And he was filled with immense joy. And he threw a big party. That's why we confront. We confront because we want to restore a family to its fullness. We want to restore broken relationships. We don't want something broken and fractured. We want wholeness and healing. And we want to celebrate the wandering family member returning to the right relationship with a family, but more importantly, a right relationship to God. We want to celebrate God's forgiveness of our sins by forgiving our brother who has sinned against the family of God. The third reason for Christian confrontation is a phrase that I once heard, a little laxity leads to a lot of lapsing. Think about that. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 5, 6, a little yeast leavens the whole batch. This is just the way things in a sinful world work. A little leaven, neglected sin in the church, leavens the whole lunch, lump. It affects the whole church. If sin goes unchecked, it begins to permeate through every part of who we are. A little laxity, sin unchecked, leads to a lot of lapsing. One domino falls, and it hits the next, and then the next, and then the next. In fact, Jesus just taught earlier in this chapter that it's better to cut off a body part that causes us to sin than go on living a life of sin. 
on cutting off sin that by guarding our own personal walk with Christ, we guard others, especially those that are young or weaker in their faith. Let me give you an example. If a new believer, a young person, sees a more mature Christian, a leader in the church, openly defined and sinful in the way they're living their lives, and that person is not confronted and not corrected by the church, then the younger Christian will likely be tempted to similarly sin. Going back to verse 7, it says in this chapter, Jesus makes it clear that temptation will happen. Woe to the world for temptations for sin, for it is necessary that temptations come. But he warns those who are more mature in their faith to not let such such temptations come from them. But woe to the one by whom the temptation comes. And earlier you said, whoever causes one of these little ones who believe in me to sin, it would be better for him to have a great millstone fastened around his neck and be drowned in the depths of the sea. Christian confrontation helps protect and purify the church. And it helps prevent the spread of sin throughout the body. It's a loving act. It's calling someone into a right relationship. Suppose you have a child, which some of us do, and you go to ask your child to do a task or a chore for you. and say, hey, go clean your room. And if you do, I'll give you a treat. Well, about halfway through, the child decides not to do it. And you say to him, hey, don't worry about it. I love you so much. I'm just going to give you a treat anyway. So what happens to the behavior of the other children in the family? What happens to the child the next time you ask them to do something? You see, a little laxity leads to a lot of lapsing. The fourth reason for confrontation is that it's a command of Christ. We're told to do so. It's a command of Christ, and Christians are to keep Christ's commandments. Are we drawing closer to the end of Matthew as we look at this in Matthew 28 in the Great Commission? I want you to consider what Jesus says. The role of the church and ultimately each one of us should be teaching the newly baptized, the young believers, to observe all that Jesus has commanded. Thus, if he commands confrontation for sin, we do it because because Jesus is Lord and he commands us to do these things. Jesus is probably teaching, getting all this, drawing it from Leviticus 19, 1 through 16, 19, 37, where reproof and love belong together. You you shall not hate your brother in your heart, but you shall reason frankly with him, lest you incur sin because of him. You shall not take vengeance or bear a grudge against him, but you shall love your neighbor as yourself. Why? Because I am the Lord. We're told to do this. Sometimes I think we completely miss what God intends by this. I think too often in our world we assimilate to the world and the culture around us. We think love means toleration of sin. But scripture, love and holiness and discipline all walk hand in hand. Care and confrontation must go together. Because God loves us, he disciplines us. It's the loving, not the unloving shepherd who goes after the lost sheep. The unloving shepherd stays at home. He's either indifferent, what's one sheep out of a hundred? Or he's lenient, oh, sheep will be sheep. So Christians are to confront sinning Christians because we value one straying sheep. We hope for forgiveness and family reconciliation. 
We know that a little laxity can lead to a lot of lapsing. We care about the unity and the purity of the church and the glory of God's holy name and the gospel. And because Christian confrontation is a loving command from the most loving man who ever lived, we're to do it. So when we move to the how, we have to understand the why. Because the why is the heart of this. We don't just do it. We're not looking for error in the world around us. We're looking within the church. We're looking to Christian brothers. So, and the why, if we understand that, it becomes so much easier and effective to go through the how. We're going to go to someone as a brother. We're going to go out of love. We're going to go like Jesus to go and deal with difficult situations. And it can be scary and hard for many of us. But Jesus gives us clear steps. And we're going to talk about that now as we end this time. In Matthew 18, 15, from the text today, it says, If your brother sins against you, go and tell him his fault between you and him alone. If he listens to you, you have gained your brother. Okay, I want you to notice something before we go on any further. It doesn't say, hey, make sure that you go and tell everyone in your prayer group. It doesn't say go and tell everyone that you eat dinner with or all your friends and all your family. It says to go to a brother on their own, one-on-one. It is not first for community consumption to find out if you have, are getting it right. If you're being sinned against by a brother, it means you go to that person first. So I just had to clarify that. First, notice Jesus realizes that a brother might sin against another brother. So how do we respond to someone sinning against us? Most sins we might overlook. It's not our life's work to nitpick every sin. But if someone sins in a way that is, shows a serious heart problem, it is our job. It's our responsibility. It's our duty. It's our heart for someone who is struggling to go to them. If we overlook that sin, we're guilty of sin as well. We all know the right thing to do, but too often we fail to do it. Jesus says, go to your brother and tell him his fault. That's simple, but not easy. You get the impression that we're to be considerate and kind. If he sins against you, take him aside. Talk to him about his sin. Why would we do that? We're trying to bring a lost brother back. So the idea of the heart is to bring someone back, to go and gain a brother. Tell one or two others is the next step. But if he doesn't listen, take one or two others along with you that every charge may be established by the evidence of two or three witnesses. In this verse, he gives direction to, to the brother who sins and doesn't listen. The brother keeps doing the sin over and over. So we go, he, Jesus tells us to go get another person or two, someone that has wisdom, someone that has the ability to enter into a situation like this, that they'll go with you to enter into this conversation. Jesus says that every charge may be established by the evidence of two or three witnesses. Notice there's not retaliation. Jesus calls for a third and a fourth opinion. The goal is to bring more people in so that we can bring the lost brother back. Consider the wisdom of this. The wisdom is if you tell one or two spiritual members, you might find someone who can reason with the erring brother. You might find someone who understands, who sees both sides who brings some mediation, but also with a goal of bringing a brother back into the fold, not to push them out. It's not to be punitive. It's to be helpful. It's to care for their heart. And then finally, the last step is to tell the church. 
If he refuses to listen to them, tell it to the church. And if he refuses to listen even to the church, let him to be to you as a Gentile and a tax collector. This, moves, this verse moves us from private to public. And it would be very painful. The sinful brother refuses to change even after hearing from two spiritual people. So the church is added. Why notice that it says if he refuses to listen even to the church, the church is supposed to take this information and try to talk hit sense into the center. They don't tell the church so the church can withdraw from him. They tell the church so they can reason with him and try to get him to change. The goal is for everyone to reach out and bring them back into the fold, not to remain lost. But even after that, he still doesn't repent. What should we do at that point to a stubborn, rebellious brother? Jesus says, let him be as a Gentile or a tax collector someone outside of the church. Probably not the best place for them, but I want you to think about this because this is really important. It says, now in those days, I want you to think about a tax collector and a Gentile. In those days, Jesus has been reaching out to save the tax collectors and sinners. He's been going out to them. In this, he's pointing out that this rebellious person must be considered as one of the lost. He was our brother, but now he is as much a part of the world as anyone would be. We don't just throw them away. We don't build walls and say, you no longer can be our friend. It just may not fit inside this context. And then finally, Jesus says this, there I am among them. The next words out of Jesus' mouth are important. Jesus says that this decision to let an erring brother go who refuses to repent, it has a seal of approval. Just as he gave Peter the keys of the kingdom, he gave him authority, he gives us the same as the church, as the body. It says, what is bound on earth shall be bound in heaven, and what is loosed on earth shall be loosed in heaven. If they decide to let the sinful brother be like a tax collector or Gentile, Jesus and God the Father are with them in the decision. If we forgive here, then he will be forgiven in heaven. But if he won't repent, he won't repent and be forgiven in heaven. The truth is, is that God already knew what the person's heart was. But how encouraging to hear that Jesus is with us in a decision. Also, if he repent, repents and turns back, Jesus and God are with them as they accept this brother back into our family. The last thing that any of us want is for a family member to fall away. I can't think of many things as having someone who has in my life that's more painful than that. I want reconciliation. I want things to be right. Jesus taught us leading up to the five verses, if there's one straying, we go after them. We go not because we want to be right or to bring reconciliation. We do all of this because holiness and love and reproof and repentance and humility and authority, they're all necessary within the context of a church. And I want you to hear this. The life of the church is the life for the world. There is no better witness to the world around us than if the church that we're in acts and responds like Jesus. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. Thanks for tuning in. 
For more information, feel free to visit us online at ccanglican.com. We hope you will join us again soon.